we cannot be the ones to self-eliminate. We're quick to do that, especially as uh, people of color. You know, we just really doubt our existence in spaces like that. You know, I did not have the best grades. I went through law school with three small kids, and so I did the best I could. Even if you don't get a clerkship, and if you don't pass the bar exam on the first time, or if your first LSAT score is really horrible, you know, it's not the end of it. So just keep trying. Hi, I'm Hallie Ritsu. And I'm Allison Friedman. And this is Personal Jurisdiction. A podcast where we get personal with lawyers about their journeys before, during, and after law school. Join us for season four as our guests share their behind the scenes reflections on the highs and lows of how they got to where they are today. Welcome back to Personal Jurisdiction. We are so excited to welcome Rosanna Toya today. Rosanna is an enrolled member of the Pueblo of Isleta, where she was born, raised, and resides today. She currently practices civil rights, criminal defense, and Indian law at Rostein Donatelli in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Before going into private practice, Rosanna clerked for the New Mexico Court of Appeals and the U.S. District Court for the District of New Mexico. Rosanna is also familiar with the internal workings of tribal governments as she has served her Pueblo as an associate justice for the Isleta Pueblo Appellate Court since 2013. She now serves the Pueblo as the chief justice of the Appellate Court. There she presides over cases related to probate, domestic relations, criminal law, employment law, and any other types of disputes that are appealed from the tribal court. Rosanna is a 2005 graduate of New Mexico State University where she earned her Bachelor of Criminal Justice. She also earned her Master of Criminal Justice and Master of Social Work from NMSU, and she is a 2019 graduate of the University of New Mexico School of Law. We're so excited to talk to Rosanna about her work as a tribal court justice, as well as her work as a clerk both at the state and federal levels in New Mexico as part of our Judicial Clerkship and Externship series. (laughs) Rosanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Allison and Hallie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. We're so happy to have you. So we just want to start out um, by chatting with you sort of where we start with most of our guests. This is obviously a special episode um, because it's part of a mini series that we're doing, but we think it's still really interesting just to kind of set the background to chat with you a little bit about why you went to law school. Um, So if you can just share with us sort of what was the journey that ended up bringing you to law school? So as a child, I always had a dream of going to law school. And I had a best friend who her and I also dreamed of going to law school and pursuing legal education as young children. Um, But I think that I somewhere along the way, um, lost track of that dream and um, didn't pursue law school. Uh, I think what happened was after my After I completed my undergraduate degree, I took the LSAT um, and I did really, really horrible. So horrible that I knew I would never be able to get into any law school or wasn't worth worth my time applying. Um, But I knew um, even as, you know, an undergraduate student and um, growing up that I wanted to be in a profession where I was able to help people, um, help tribal people, help, um, you know, disadvantaged people. Um, And so after taking the LSAT the first time and doing really horribly, I instead went on to pursue a master's in criminal justice and a master's in social work, where I was able to still be in the in the helping professions and um, help, you know, people that that could use the services that I 
um, was committed to providing to especially tribal people. I practiced as a licensed master social worker for about 10 years after undergrad. Um, and while I was in that line of work, I was tapped on the shoulder by the then chief justice of my tribal court of appeals, uh, the Isleta Court of Appeals, uh, who invited me to consider applying to serve as a justice in my tribe's appellate court. And so, um, you know, in tribal courts, judges may or may not be law trained. Um, in our appellate court, we have a combination of law trained and non-law trained justices who serve on our court and in the tribal court. And so I took him up on his invitation to uh, be considered. I was appointed by the tribal council of my Pueblo to serve as a justice. And so I began doing that on top of my social work practice and uh, served for about three years on the court before I decided again that I wanted to pursue a legal education and knew that at that time, you know, I think it would be a lot more um, valuable to my my work as a justice. And so um, I took the LSAT again, did better, got accepted into law school, um, went through law school, um, took the bar exam one time, did not pass the bar exam the first time. And then the second time when I was studying for the bar exam, I um, happened to be sitting at a childhood desk in my family's home where I grew up and, you know, in, in my attempt to distract myself from study, started rummaging through papers that were in the desk at the at this old childhood home and desk. And I found a letter that I had wrote to my friend's mom. And so my friend that I mentioned at the beginning, my one of my best childhood friends had passed away when we were about 14 years old in a really tragic accident. And so when I found this letter, you know, I read it. And one of the things that I wrote in this letter to my best friend's mom was um, assuring her that she shouldn't worry that I was going to pursue our dreams of a legal education for both of us. And it was just such a profound moment because, you know, in, in, in having the feeling the defeat of uh, the bar exam, um, especially preparing for it a second time, it's just exhausting and it feels um, defeating, especially for Native people, I think, because, you know, the, the pass rates for Native people can often be so disproportionately low. Um, so I was really struggling in those moments. And so to find that letter reminding myself of my childhood dreams about going to law school um, was like such an empowering moment. And so um, while I while I had other reasons you know, along those 10 years of my career, uh, knowing that I wanted to help people and not knowing quite how to um, or what were the best tools to help tribal people um, or tribes, tribal nations. I, I was quickly reminded of um, that it was something bigger than than that. Um, and so, yeah, it, kind of a, a winding story, winding way of getting to um, why I went to law school. But it's, it's important to me as I look back. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, that's a really beautiful story. And also, um, you know, just speaks a lot to, 
you know, your character and how many, you know, like despite many hurdles, you, you know, persevered and you decided like, this is the thing that I want to do. This is how I want to help people. Um, And of course, you know, you were already in a helping profession, as you said, but just, you know, having the skills of being trained as a lawyer, you know, sounds like something that was really important to you and also, you know, sort of um, to the larger um, picture of like serving your tribe and of also, you know, um, representing this other individual who, you know, passed away as well. So um, I think one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is that, um, you know, when you look at someone's resume, um, it might seem like, oh, you know, they just got from A to B to C to D, right? And, you know, when um, you look at your resume, it's so impressive, right? Like you are a chief justice, um, you know, you work at a very uh, impressive law firm, um, you have done so many amazing, uh, you know, things in your career so far. Um, But knowing sort of the underpinnings of why you came to the legal profession is so profound and so beautiful. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. um, And just your like, tenacity and stick-to-itiveness um, is really something that's so admirable. Thank you. I think to Rosanna, um, sharing about your experience with the bar exam, that's something a lot of people experience not passing the first time. And I have found with students and other newer attorneys that I talk to, it's really helpful to hear that someone else went through that experience and they came out fine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. It doesn't mean, you know, they don't wish it went differently, but it's wonderful to demonstrate that you can get through it. Um, So thank you for being willing to share that with us. Yeah, thank you. It's an important thing for me to talk about because I know when I went into law school, when I began uh, my first year, the state had just switched to a new the UBE bar exam and there were zero Native American students who passed the bar exam that year and you know I just I just wish that people would talk more about the you know the outcome and and the the survivability of not passing the first time because I just felt like there's no way I could do it again you know I had three small kids at home and um, you know it was just it felt like it was there was no way I could survive if I didn't pass and and you can and you do and you can still succeed so it's important to me to talk about it definitely we really appreciate that and I know our listeners do too so there's so many things I want to go back to in what you just shared with us and I wonder if we can talk about your experience as an associate justice and your experience before you went to law school as an associate justice. How did you become familiar with the relevant law and the processes of being a justice when you first started? Sure. So, you know, I always tell people that I think tribal court uh, serving as a in a judicial capacity in tribal courts is sometimes harder than in state or federal court because in tribal court, a lot of times the black letter laws that tribe have, tribes have access to is so limited. We don't have a lot of codified rules and laws. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of attorneys even uh, and some judges are quick to borrow from state law or federal law. And that's not necessarily what is 
always in the tribe's best interest, right? Or, or exactly the, the rules of law that we want to follow for our tribal court decisions. And so I think that it was, it was difficult uh, in the beginning, the first few years serving as an associate justice to really um, get a good foundation maybe because, um, you know, being, learning the law as in itself is hard. It's difficult. And so um, not really knowing the, the, you know, the choice of law provisions that are most appropriate in doing the work or um, not having that, that steady footing can be difficult. And so I really relied a lot on the attorney justices who were on the court. And um, when, when lay people serve as justices on the tribal court, a lot of times the purpose for that is to inform or shape decisions in a way that reflect the customs and values of the community, the tribal community. And so to the extent that I was able to bring that to the table, um, that was really, really awesome. Um, and relying on the mentorship of the, the elder tribal judges who um, were really strong in that role. Uh, and so, yeah, it was hard, but it was it was a huge learning learning um, opportunity. And, you know, it just reinforced the idea that in order to best serve my tribe and the in my capacity on the court, I really needed to get formal legal education. Yeah, that is so cool um, that you were, you know, able to sort of represent the interests of the community, um, as well as sort of the legal underpinnings of a particular case. Um, I think that's like a really interesting um piece of you know what you were doing and how sort of the tribal court system works um and it sounds like you know as you said at a certain point you decided okay actually you know i do want to have some formal legal training and so i'm curious how um your experience uh changed, if at all, um, you know, once you had some formal legal training. And of course, I think this entire time you were sitting um, as an associate justice, and then of course, now as the chief justice. Um, So did your experience change at all, you know, from going from a sort of lay justice to, um, you know, a legally trained justice? And what did that, that look like? Yeah, it absolutely changed. Having the legal education really allowed me to be more confident in the work that I was uh, able to do for the tribal court. Um, Just being able to, the simple things uh, like legal research, um, you know, as a, as a lay justice, it's, it's not, as we all know, right, legal research is not easy. Um, the, the writing structure of opinions or briefs is not something that comes natural to lay, lay justices or judges. And so I, you know, from the beginning, one hour year, I picked up a lot of tools in, in my first year writing class and, and research tools. Um, but I think the moment my ability to really contribute to the tribal court came from my experiences with my clerkships. Being able to uh, write on behalf of the Court of Appeals or draft memorandum to panels of judges on the uh, Court of Appeals uh, really strengthened my, not only my legal research, but my legal writing and my legal analyses. That was just a profound um, growth 
opportunity for me. And so it's 360 degree difference in the work that I've been able to do on behalf of the tribal court after my experiences with the state and federal court. Well, that's just a perfect transition, Rosanna, to talk about some of these experiences. And then maybe we can go back and talk more about your role as chief judge. But you had a clerkship with the Court of Appeals for two years right after law school. How did you decide that you wanted to clerk? I knew that I wanted to clerk um, because it's something that the pre-law summer institute here in New Mexico at the house in the American Indian Law Center really promoted to us as pre-law students. The So we call it PLSI for short. The PLSI has a judicial clerkship committee that really works hard to increase awareness to Native law students and Native attorneys in their early years about the importance of judicial clerkships, um, about the, you know, just make it a transparent process for applying to judicial clerkships. Uh, because if it wasn't for that, that exposure early on in my legal education, I probably wouldn't have known how important it was to pursue a judicial clerkship. Um, and then in law school, I had one particular mentor uh, who worked for the the career development office who um, I showed up to one clerkship meeting really shy and not sure that that was where I should be. But, um, you know, she quickly pointed out that I was one, the only female there, the only woman there and the only um, especially person of color there. And so she really pushed me to believe in myself and to pursue that opportunity, even if I had a little bit of an interest. And so I did. And uh, as as anybody who's applied for judicial clerkships knows, it's very competitive. And I did receive a lot of no's before I received a yes. Um, you know, I did interviews, writing tests, you know, just the, the, the very rigorous process that comes with judicial clerkships. But yeah, I, I really attribute my my education in judicial clerkships and my awareness about them to the PLSI program and um, you know so so and then the mentor so now you know serving on the judicial clerkship committee for the pre-law um, PLSI committee I always try to be that that one or you know one of those people who really encourages other native, law students who really doubt their ability to pursue that opportunity um, because it really just takes, you know, that one person to, to encourage you that to get there. So true. And something we've learned from talking with other guests about their desire to clerk and how I think for pretty much everyone, Allison, it, it's taken them several tries And something we learned recently, too, from a collaboration with another podcast called The Portia Project, which focuses on um, female attorneys and judges, that many of the judges applied 10 times to be a judge. And that's just something I didn't have a sense of. And I love hearing that. And I love hearing that from you, Rosanna, because um, it's a great example or a great reason why you should not give up. Because again, even people that you see sitting as judges, they tried several times to get in that position and didn't give up. It doesn't come, you know, quickly or easily. Um, 
So that was really helpful to hear. I also think that the piece about the mentors is so crucial as well. Um, You know, I love that you shared that just having people who like raised awareness around what a clerkship is and, you know, um, that you can pursue it. You know, we have said this on the podcast before, but I just want to put it out there that I think clerkships in particular are one of those things where if you really want to do it, it's something that one, you should do it. Like you should go out there and pursue it. There are so many different types of clerkships. You know, we're going to get a little bit more into the fact that you did both like a state and a federal clerkship, right? Like those look differently. And we want to chat with you about that. But there are so many different types of clerkships that have so much value. And if you want to do it, like you might have to apply a lot <laughs> of times. You might have to cast a very broad net. Um, but I think that, you know, over time and with mentorship and encouragement and things, like if it's something you really want to do, keep trying. Um, we've heard a lot, a lot of people say like the door was shut. I thought the door was shut. I'm not going to be able to do it. And then they got into it a different way, right? Yeah. So, you know, persistence, I think, is something that is is key in this space, in, yeah. you know, in many, many aspects of a legal career, but particularly, I think, in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So would you mind just talking a little bit about, um, we, let's start with your Court of Appeals clerkship. So um, you clerked for the State Court of Appeals for two years. You mentioned a writing test. And so if you wouldn't mind just talking about like that application process, because I think it's very interesting, um, you know, how that works. And then just, can you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day looked like in that particular clerkship? Sure. So uh, the the writing test was one component of an interview for one particular judge. So I submitted all my materials, resume, um, cover letter, writing samples, you know, all the standard materials you submit for consideration for a clerkship and went in and met with the judge in her chambers and met with the usually the other law clerks in the chambers also. And if it goes well enough, then they give you a, um, some judges will assign you a writing test. And there I've heard different versions of, um, you know, some people get it over the weekend, some people have a week to complete it. You know, there's just, I think a lot of different variations of what I've, I've known people have experienced. Um, the particular test I had was a weekend test. So I had like 48 hours to complete basically a simulated, um, you know, opinion, um, based on the materials that were provided by the court. So you get like all the briefing and the, you know, the, the both parties briefing, and then you have to do the research and do your best effort to come up with a, a, a draft opinion. And so um, I did that. I completed that. It's very intimidating. It's very challenging. Um, I did not get that position, um, but, you know, I just know that, that's okay. And the, the judges that I did end up with were, were just phenomenal women to work for. Um, and so I started at the Court of Appeals with the then chief judge, and um, she was a woman of color. And she had been there for uh, many years. She was actually on her way out when I started. Um, she was ready to head into retirement. So um, I got her at the end of her her year. So, you know, I was just so fortunate to be able to be able to tap into all of her knowledge and wisdom. And then after she left, then I was asked to come back by the incoming judge who filled her place, who was also a woman of color. And uh, I, you know, was so fortunate to be able to work with her. 
Um, and so, you know, in talking, let's talk a little bit about the day-to-day um, experience as a law clerk. Um, I think one of the things that really caught me off guard in the beginning was that it's actually kind of a lonely job, right? Because you sit in your office all day in front of your computer with, you know, as we call it, a cold record because we're the Court of Appeals. You know, we just get the cold record. And so we're dealing with all the um, pleadings that were filed throughout, uh, you know, pre-trial and during trial and post-trial. Sometimes we're listening to the entire audio from a trial, depending on the issue that's on appeal. Sometimes the judges give you a good indication of how they want the opinion to come out based on their own experience. Um, But sometimes, you know, the judges uh, really leaves it up to the law clerk to to guide the court and the chambers as to how the opinion or the, the issue should be resolved because they're not maybe as familiar in that area of law or, um, you know, whatever it may be. And so, again, that was a very intimidating experience because, you know, you're just the first month or couple of months out of law school and you have this ginormous task of figuring out, you know, the how this case should be resolved on appeal. Um, and so, yeah, you spend hours and hours in the doing record review and then start getting into the legal research and then, you know, start or along the way you're drafting, working on your drafting. Um, one of the biggest things that I took out of that whole experience was just really the the confidence boost because, like I said, as, as, as intimidating as it is, you know, I dug in and spent the hours and hours in the record and with my draft and multiple iterations of my draft and um, to be able to have the approval of not only um, my judge, who was the presiding author on that case, but also then uh, to advance my opinion to the rest of the panel, you know, there's panels of three who decide the cases on the Court of Appeals, to have the, the approval from those other two judges, um, in addition to my judge, it just really boosted my confidence and my ability to be able to grapple with complex legal issues. That's really helpful to hear, Rosanna. And I wonder, because it, from my perspective, you had several years of really amazing experience as a lay justice in the tribal court, and then you're coming into the court of appeals clerkship. How did your experience as a lay justice help you or influence or inform your experience in the um, court of appeals clerkship? That's a really good question, Holly. You know, I think it's a little bit hard to compare them because now looking back, you know, as a lay justice, you just don't have the skills to really craft opinions the way that a law trained person does. And so to the extent, you know, I tried as a lay justice, you know, probably everything that I did was rewritten by the attorney justices. Um, But it it gave me a lot of context and it gave me a lot of, um, you know, I had a lot of experience in roundtable deliberations with the justices of the appellate court. And so, you know, I got to see the process of um, deliberating and analyzing issues before a court. Um, but to say that, uh, you know, the skills that, like that, to say that I was able to really take any concrete skills from my time as a lay justice to a- apply in my role as a clerk on the 
state appellate court, I just wasn't quite there yet. You know, I didn't have the the nuts and bolts to like fully carry over those skills. So I am curious if you'll tell us a little bit more about sort of the deliberations that you're talking about, um, both maybe in the um, tribal court system, as well as what you observed while you were working on the Court of Appeals. Um, so, you know, one thing that is different about an appellate um, clerkship is that, you know, there are multiple judges, right, who are at the end of the day um, deciding the case, right? And so I want to contrast that in, momentarily with your district court clerkship. But if you can just talk a little bit about that sort of deliberations process and maybe how an opinion might change slightly over time depending on the deliberations Um, because I think that's a really interesting unique piece of being in an appellate court. When I was clerking I only clerked for a district court but we sat by designation um, for the Ninth Circuit and I was fascinated by the way you know the opinion drafting differed in that setting than what I was really doing on the day-to-day when it was just the judge I was clerking for in the district court and the clerks, you know, kind of working together um, without without other judges being involved in a decision. Yeah, so, okay, let me start with, um, I guess, maybe the deliberation process, right? I think in the tribal court, I really enjoyed the, the deliberation process there because for every case regardless of who's on the panel, we, we would sit at a table and all the judges or justices in, in the tribal appellate court would deliberate a legal issue. And so um, the funnest thing about that and, and the challenging, most challenging thing about it at the same time was having uh, lay justices and law trained justices at the same table because, you know, the, for one, just the, the vocabulary of attorneys, right, would be sometimes hard for lay justices to keep up with. Um, but also the conflict between uh, black letter law and attorneys real um, strong adherence to black letter law and uh, in, as opposed to lay justices who function primarily from a place of unwritten law and customs and traditions that have been held on to for, you know, since time immemorial. And so um, that, that was always a challenge. Um, but the fun part about it would be, you know, in, in small communities like tribal communities are, um, we would have we had a big whiteboard in our in our meeting room and we would draw map out family trees and map out plots of land and maps out map out the easements and you know to try to really um, understand the, the issues before the tribal court on appeal um, and you know exactly to your point you know just because we thought the initial outcome or what, what or what we initially thought the proper outcome was, in the beginning would definitely not be always be the same that it was in the end right once you start really um, getting into the drafting and the research and um, you know just sometimes additional pieces of evidence that or different different pieces of information that come as we continue to dig through the record would change the course of an opinion at any time um, and the same, the same is true for state court, right? Uh, you know, different chambers handle their um, drafting process different. Sometimes there would be no deliberation between the panels until a memo was, or, or a draft opinion 
was prepared and then they deliberate and determine, you know, whether they agree or don't agree or um, do their own supplemental research. And so I did see it both ways, you know, because I was with two different chambers in appellate court. Sometimes some judges would want a memo before even the drafting process took place so that the panel of justices could then, you know, deliberate how they saw the outcome or what the result should be. Um, But sometimes, you know, we just went straight to drafting and um, hoped that it was persuasive enough for the other judges on the panel to um, pass the test. Rosanna, after your Court of Appeals clerkship, you then were a clerk for the U.S. District Court for the District of New Mexico. How did you decide to apply for a federal court clerkship after your state court clerkship? So that's an interesting question. So I had actually went into private practice right after my state court clerkship, and I was there for about six months before I received a phone call from a friend of mine who served on the Federal Bar Association, the New Mexico chapter. And um, so one of the things that I always try to encourage law students to do is to really participate in bar organizations or bar associations because I had started participating as a student in this, the Federal Bar Association um, since my second year and stayed active with them all, you know, throughout law school and after law school. And uh, one of the panel or one of the other board members who served on that uh, bar association was a law clerk, a career in a career clerk position for the federal court. No, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. He was in a term position, but he had done a few terms. So it had been multiple years that he had been there. And so I had, I had always told him, you know, when, when you leave or when you know a clerkship is opening up in, in your chambers or in, in other chambers, please, please let me know. And so, um, you know, I think that's why those participation in those bar associations are so important because you just don't know who you're connecting with and how those connections will um, be valuable in the future. And so, yeah, so when he, when a career clerk position came up for my friend who was on the board, I was the first person that he called to um, put in for that position. And so, um, because you know, anybody that comes recommended from a judge's clerk is a valuable candidate, then the judge, you know, interviewed me shortly thereafter and um, made me an offer shortly thereafter. And so, um, yeah, that so it kind of happened to, I guess, fall into my lap in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Um, And it was something that I always wanted, but at the time, it wasn't something that I was pursuing, um, which kind of really made it even more cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And, you know, it just goes to show, like you said, it is important to, you know, be involved in the community and to kind of, you know, maintain um, connections to people that you, it sounded like, you know, so you started to form those connections in law school um, and, you know, just being, uh, mindful about staying in touch with people can be really, really helpful, right? Mm -hmm. That's awesome that, you know, you were the first call and, you know, then there you were, right? Um, Clerking for a federal court, um, which is awesome. So can you tell us um, what your day-to-day looked like in the federal court and how that was either similar or different to the Court of Appeals. You mentioned that it was kind of lonely in the Court of Appeals. And so I'm I'm curious if it was 
similar feeling at the district court or if it was slightly different? Also, just to start with, uh, when I clerked in the federal district court, I again was so fortunate to clerk for a woman of color. And so that, that makes it three women of color who I was able to clerk for, which is just really something that is so, so special to me. Um, and yeah, district court is totally different from appellate court, right? Because then there's trials and pre-trial litigation happening. And so um, it's a lot more um, lively, I guess, um, can be a lot more active and you get to see litigation styles of attorneys in the courtroom and, um, you know, just just very dynamic. Um, it, it still can be quiet and there's a lot of research and uh, writing that comes along with it, which goes to that quietness, loneliness factor. But um, it, it was just a really great experience um, to be able to see the live dynamic nature of um, courtrooms. And so after that, then that's when I knew, you know, um, that I really wanted to gain more experience in litigation and wanted to um, get that experience after my clerkship. So, so that's what I went on to do. Rosanna, what was your favorite part about the federal clerkship? Maybe something that was a little bit different from your previous experience. Just my favorite part about the federal clerkship was just being able to see the the live nature of litigation. The you know when I the first day I started, uh, my judge was presiding over a jury trial, and so I got to see that, and um, that was really cool. We were we were just on the outside cusp of COVID, and so you know things were just kind of starting to come back to um, in person proceedings. And so, um, you know, it was it was not as active maybe as post COVID as it is now, um, but that that certainly is my favorite was my favorite part of a district court clerkship, federal court clerkship. So, I don't know if you feel like there are major differences, but I think that one of the things that our listeners might be curious about um, is, you know, your thoughts about. Were there differences between a federal clerkship and a state court clerkship, not necessarily like appellate and district court? So you've talked a little bit about the differences there. Um, But I think sometimes there's a perception that, you know, oh, I only want to clerk for a federal court. And I think there's so much value in clerking for a state court as well. Um, And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts about um, sort of the differences, um, you know, at being at the state level versus the federal level. Obviously, like legally, there are differences, but um, were there other things that you observed or that you thought were, you know, valuable about um, each of those experiences? Yeah, so I... I, I, I agree with you about the the reputation that federal clerkships are more prestigious than state court clerkships, but I, I really don't think that that's the case. I think that, yeah, most firms, I guess, um, see equal value in state or federal court clerkships because just the, the learning experiences that law clerks have are so invaluable. Um, but I think a lot of it might depend on what community that you really want to be a part of in the legal profession, right? If you want to stay active in state court systems and practice there, then, um, or state government or state entities, then I think 
state court is really a sure way to make those connections for you. And um, what, one of the things that I got out of my state court clerkships were just very valuable connections to the um, justices of the, both the judges of the appellate court, of course, but then the justices of the Supreme Court too. And um, so, you know, I've been asked to serve on boards such as the Board of Bar Examiners, which is a, you know, very heavy state um, board and does some really important work on bar exam, bar passage, um, you know, just a lot of different areas involving the bar exam. Um, and that's really important to me. Um, and, but if you want to, if, if somebody is more interested in pursuing federal work, you know, maybe a position as a U.S. attorney or, you know, federal public defenders or just being a federal litigator, just, you know, maybe areas of Indian law, which are a lot more present in federal court than in state court, then yeah, maybe federal court is the place to be. But um, I see that, you know, I am I, sure, I'm confident that my federal court judge um, saw me as a stronger candidate because of my state court clerkship. So, uh, you know, I think both are equally important. Definitely. I agree. And I like how you described that a lot of those decisions have to do with what you want to practice, the type of law you want to practice and the systems that you want to practice in. So Rosanna, we started out our discussion with you sharing your experience as an associate justice um, of the Isleta Pueblo Appellate Court, which is something you have been doing for over 10 years, but now you are the chief justice. And I would love to hear about um, your responsibilities in that role and how that's different from what you were doing as an associate justice and as a, a lay justice. This is my first year serving as the chief justice. I'm the first woman to serve in that position. Thank you. I'm the only tribal member um, justice of my appellate court. And so another layer to that is that I'm the only law-trained tribal member in both the um, appellate court and the tribal court. And so I just think that I have a very um, unique position that, that comes with a lot of responsibility. And, uh, you know, it's so as the chief justice, I'm responsible for, um, you know, being the the point person between the tribal council and our court. And so we report to the tribal council as our, as our oversight body. And it was really important to the law justices who were not tribal members that now we finally have a tribal member in that position. Because once I completed both of my clerkships and, uh, you know, graduated law school, passed the bar exam, all the stuff, um, the law trained justices on my court, who I've been with for probably six or seven years, um, and who have both served in the capacity as chief, um, were quick to say, okay, now it's your turn. And now you get the, the honor and the, the responsibility of, you know, being the point person for our tribal council. And so that's, that's a big responsibility. You know, I, I take that very seriously because, um, you know, we represent to tribal council all the the great things that our court is doing. Um, I think one of the, the things that I enjoy most about being the chief and the things that I think I'm the most proud of about being the chief, I, I think I lend a, a heavier air towards 
the voice of our traditional elder in our in our court. Um, when I wasn't the chief, you know, it's ultimately the chief's call to decide whether we stick strictly to black letter law or we shape our opinions by the, you know, by the expertise or wisdom of our custom and tradition experts. And so I try to be, um, you know, very mindful of that and really take seriously the wisdom that is shared with us by our um, traditional lay justice, um, because, you know, if we're not preserving those customs and traditions and that that wisdom and that those rules in our opinions as a tribal court, then what are we? You know, we're just another state court and operating on black letter law like any other court. And so I'm really proud of the decisions and the opinions that we've authored and published. Um, unfortunately, one of the, the downfalls is that they're not accessible to to everybody, like we don't publish them on, you know, a, a source where people can do legal research. And there's a lot of good reasons for that, you know, but um, I, that's that's one of my, my greatest honors as the Chief Justice is to be able to um, really give the due respect and the um, honor to those, that voice um, in our opinions. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, you know, it sounds like you are the the first in so many different capacities, which is incredible. Um, and, you know, I love that you're sort of able to honor the, you know, tribal voice and traditions and um, that, you know, in your position as chief that you have, you know, really um, brought that into um, the realm of the the tribal court. That's, that's so cool. And I just think so, so, um, you know, interesting and a slightly different than, as you said, you know, kind of the um, state court or federal court experience that you had. Um, and so it's just, it's so cool that you have like all three different types of experiences and that, you know, um, your experience as a lay justice and now your experience as the chief justice and all of your clerkships um really give you such an amazing and interesting perspective to be able to, you know, have touched all of these different points of the legal system. Um, I think it's really, really unique. And I don't know if there's anyone else out there. We are so lucky to have you on the podcast because I don't know if there's anyone else out there who really has all of the different perspectives that you, you know, have had and kind of bring to all of the different roles that you have. And I'm sure now to your legal practice as well. Um, you know, I, I think your clients are are so lucky to have someone who has, you know, been through all of the different kind of legal systems um, and, you know, traditions um, culturally as well. So uh, with that. Um, thank I, you. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. That means a lot to me. Oh, good. Yes. Well, well, thank you. Um, so we just have a couple of last questions for you as we kind of move into the wrap up. You have already given us so much wonderful advice for, um, you know, law students and young lawyers, but I just want to offer you any additional space um, that you might have or things to share with. Um, okay, let me rephrase that. 
I just want to ask you um, if you have any additional advice for law students or young lawyers who want to clerk, um, and particularly maybe those students who um, might not be sure if they, you know, can clerk or, you know, have the grades to clerk or might have tried to apply and didn't get a clerkship the first time. Um, do you have any advice for, for those students or more generally for law students who are interested in clerking? You know, I just can't overemphasize that, you know, we cannot be the ones to self-eliminate. Uh, you know, we're we're quick to do that, especially as uh, people of color. You know, we are the, you know, we just really doubt our, sometimes our existence in spaces like that. And so, um, you know, I did not have the best grades. Like I mentioned before, I went through law school with three small kids. And so, you know, I... I did the best I could, and I was not the top of my class. Um, you know, I did participate in the Tribal Law Journal as an editor, uh, with the, the co-editor-in-chief, and so, you know, I had that working for me. Um, but I, I truly attribute a lot of my, um, you know, my ability to end up in those positions to really just being involved in community community. Um, for example, as a law student, I also was able to um, show up and participate in, um, like, there, there's, in, in New Mexico, we have the Tribal State Judicial Consortium. And, you know, sometimes law students, by, by their role in the Tribal Law Journal, have participated in that. And so you can make connections with state and tribal judges. And so my first tribal, or my first, the first judge that I clerked for, for the state appellate court, the, the chief justice at that time, was a member of the tribal state judicial consortium. And so that's where I was able to first meet her and get to know her. And so I just can't overemphasize how important those those opportunities are to be connected. Um, but also, you know, if, if clerking isn't for everybody, and like I said, you know, it's a, it's a lonely profession or lonely stint of time, I guess, that, that you can be there. And some people find it really boring and um, not, you know, if you're, if you're really into litigation, they seem that they think that that's a setback, I think sometimes. Um, and so if like, like we also talked about clerkships are very competitive. And so even if you don't get a clerkship and if you don't pass the bar exam on the first time, or if your first LSAT score is really horrible, you know, it's not the end of it. So, um, just keep trying. Rosanna, what does success mean to you? Success to me means being able to do work that is fulfilling, being compensated fairly for doing work that is fulfilling, and being able to spend nights and weekends with my children and my husband. Um, so finding the balance in it all. Um, and I feel very fortunate that the firm that I'm at right now, um, I'm able to do all of those things. Rosanna, it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your perspectives about your career journey and your clerkship experiences and your justice experiences. Thank you. Thanks for your time. It was really fun to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for thinking of me, reaching out. It really means a lot to me. Thank you both. 
Personal Jurisdiction is powered and distributed by Simplecast. You don't have to wait until next week to hear more. You can find us online at personaljxpod.com and on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to Personal Jurisdiction on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen so that you can be updated on the latest and greatest from Personal Jurisdiction. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating so that other listeners can find our show too. Reach out to us at personaljxpod at gmail.com if you have questions, feedback, or if you'd like to join us as a guest on the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.